What's good, guys? Welcome back to the Run Free Podcast. This is episode number 55, and we got a special one for you guys today. I am here with my better half, Sarah, two days after she just finished runner-up. I don't like runner-up, by the way. I wish I just didn't say that, but I'm just going to keep rolling because I don't like editing podcasts. Second place at the London Marathon in a new personal best, 222.01 in... What was the race? I'd like to dub this the race that made people cry. (laughs) Just because we got so many touching text messages, messages on Instagram, all over the place. So many people saying that they were in tears watching Sarah coming down that home stretch. And I know I certainly was moved in that moment as well. And um, man, just such an epic run. Sarah, without further ado, congratulations. How are you feeling two days removed? Thanks, Coach. Congratulations to you, too. Um, Feeling really good. Feeling happy. And, um, yeah, speaking of tears, sometimes I'll just, like, start crying happy tears randomly on the plane or (laughs) when I'm awake at night because of jet lag. So, yeah, definitely feeling really, really happy about that. Man, so so I'm having a hard time figuring out exactly where I want to start with this one. The last week has been filled with so many memorable experiences. So I want to talk about our time in the bubble. But I was thinking we save that to the end because I think most people are just dying to hear about your race. So I was thinking we start with the race and then we'll double back on the bubble. And before we get launch into this episode too far, I do want to mention, you know, at Run Free Training, we coach not only people who finished second place at the London Marathon, um, but we coach every level of runner. So if you guys are looking for coaching, personal coaching, check us out, runfreetraining.com, and we are taking on athletes. And I think, Sarah, maybe this would be a good place to start, actually, talking a little bit about how did you stay motivated during the COVID season? Because you know, a lot of people are, everyone's in this situation, right? With COVID going on, no races happening. And I know going through it with you, like it was a times a struggle and times hard to not have races on the schedule. And so, and even when we were at the London Marathon, a lot of athletes were talking about having shorter buildups because there was nothing on schedule. And so they were kind of rushing to get in shape for London. Um, so talk about how you were able to manage the COVID season and get in your training and preparations for the London Marathon. Yeah, it was it was definitely challenging. I think that's something actually that makes what I feel like this moment even more special was just the context it was in of just how hard this year has been. And um, I really wanted to run in a way that like was inspiring to people and like could in some way provide like a boost at like a hard time and stuff. And I hope that, that I did a little bit out there, but, um, but yeah, it's been a tough year. Um, you know, obviously the Olympic trials, massive disappointment, not being able to finish that race that I was, really hoping and and believing was going to be like the race of my life and making my first Olympic team. Um, and then kind of coming off that disappointment, um, you know, it's, it's nice to like be able to refocus on something else to, to kind of move forward. But um, started training for the track trials that got canceled. Um, all the all the road races were getting canceled, everything canceled, canceled. So it was it was really hard to kind of close that chapter. Um, so there was that there's that aspect of of kind of the mental emotional part of this last year um and then um yeah i think also just like not knowing how like what you're training for like how to structure your training i think that's where having a team around you especially having a coach so i think anyone needs a coach like no matter how fast you are even if you're like a a 10-hour marathoner um because your coach can kind of look at the big picture and be like um so even when the track trials got canceled ryan was like you know we we need to work on this 10k work you know just in like both for your marathon but also for the track trials next year if you're going to go for that team so it's kind of like not just I, th- I think sometimes as an athlete you can be kind of short-sighted where you're um you're focused on just the next race or kind of what's in front of you but the coach can have like a bigger picture look at things and be like we're gonna we're gonna work on this right now because i it 
I want to go here eventually. Um, so yeah, highly recommend run free training coaches. Um, but, and then also, uh, so in your support group, also having training partners. So, um, you know, that was a little tricky when we were supposed to be socially distancing. And so I, pretty much only met up with my daughters and then um I was meeting up with Rachel Schneider and we were kind of like the only people we were meeting with so it wasn't like um we're we were running with lots of people and stuff so um but that really helped having someone just to like that was going through the same kind of things too and um and just to just like dialogue about the emotional side of of like the pandemic year and um and also just I like it just brings a lot of enjoyment to your the process when you're doing it with someone you enjoy being with and stuff um and and lastly I would just say I guess what kept me going was just um I just really love the process process of training and the hard work and I think that's really huge because I think if you only do the work for an end result um I think we we tend to glorify that in our culture. It's like spending four years slaving away um, all these uh, kind of sacrifices for for the one day at the Olympics and stuff. But that's not really like a very sustainable lifestyle. I don't think. I think you have to really to. I think for myself, like to be still doing this sport. 15 plus years later like you have to really love the process like love the hard work and I I really do like I really I miss like when I'm tapering for a marathon like I miss doing hard workouts like I I, I know there's like an endorphin component to that and stuff but but also it's like just um the grind is fun for me so I think you know, I, I was actually trying to take some more time off once the track trials got canceled. And I did take a little bit, but like, I think I just, uh, I think like, ru- like running hard was like the one fun thing at the time. And um, so that like, it was hard to take that away when there was like no races and um, a lot of other challenging things in life. Like, um, so, so yeah, I think just that, like loving the process, like, and, and, finding what makes you tick you know like how can you love the process more than you do right now maybe it's like like taking the time to run in new places and explore or maybe it's like finding training partners to that push you or the social component or um, maybe it's experimenting with new ways of training or whatever it is like finding a way to like really love the grind yeah yeah totally loving the grind i love that and that's if you love that then you're gonna love the result no matter what it ends up being because the results will come if you're in, in love with the process um so take us to how you were feeling going into the london marathon your expectations um and just excitement level physically how you're feeling like i know like your fitness was we were seeing really nice uh results in your fitness just based on your threshold running every single build up you just seem to get a little bit stronger a little bit stronger and just a quick side note on that guys if you're looking at like what is good progress for a marathon runner like if you are gaining two to three seconds per mile for your threshold runs that's really great progress from one build up that happens six months earlier to the next one that's six months later and we just we've just seen with sarah sometimes you know the races come sometimes they don't but we've just seen really great progress in each one of your build up so um we knew you were in the best shape of your life heading into this one but what were what were your expectations heading into the race what were you nervous about i know we had some uh challenges finding the right pace group and deciding on a race plan so kind of take us through where you were at heading into the race yeah um i was excited about the race um and and really grateful that um for the build-up i'd had and and just like how my body was absorbing the work like even more than like the the workout times which were good and and like i did also like the most volume so it's it's kind of like I look at everything in context now um not just like what I'm able to do for a tempo run because I've actually been able to run pretty fast for long tempo runs like ever since I started the marathon but 
it's really like, well, what is like at the time when like early in my marathon career, I wasn't doing that in the middle of a lot of volume. And so that doesn't really mean as much like it just depends like how buried you are in training, like when you're running those times is really like more an indication of the marathon. So, um, so yeah, I think, um, more than the workout times, it was kind of like just feeling like my body was absorbing the work really well. Although there were definitely times I was really tired too, like mentally and physically. Um, and like even having thoughts of like feeling kind of burned out and like, like I wanted to take a break and that's like really unlike me. Like I hadn't had thoughts of that since like 2013 when I was like racing the track and just feeling kind of like burned out and stuff. Um, and I, but I, you know, talking to my friends that are in different careers, like well, friends that are runners, but also friends in other careers. Like I, I feel like across the board, people are, are just, it's, it's a really hard time in this pandemic year. Like, um, if you're a coach, a college coach, you know, it's like all your races are canceled. If you're, you know, you're working from home, like if you're a business person, all these things, like it's just felt like, um, mentally tiring to, to keep getting up for doing whatever you're doing in in a different way and stuff. So I think, um, I think that definitely went into it. So I, I definitely felt, um, really tired, but I think what was encouraging was, um, what I could do kind of in the midst of those periods. Like I think when I was feeling the worst was right around when I ran the half marathon in Eugene and I ran a PR there just like out on a bike path with a couple of guys helping pace me. Um, and then the workouts I did after the, the race, since we stuck around like at sea level, um, I was really happy with those and, and, and that I could do that feeling as tired as I was. Um, so, so yeah, I guess fast forward to like, being in London like um I I knew kind of when I signed up for this race I was I think honestly I was a little bit I was most concerned about the laps and the quiet out there (laughs) because that was definitely like uncharted territory to run a marathon on a mile loop um and that sounded really boring to me because I mean there's a reason I don't race on the track very much I find like the tanky on the track boring and I'm like this would be like five times the amount of time as you're running a tanky on the track but like on a loop um so I was a little worried about that and then also just the quiet of no spectators allowed and the women's only start knowing that with those, you're going to have to be ready to run by yourself quite a bit of the race, which I did. Um, so it was kind of all those things. I was, I was a little bit nervous, like, but at the same time, like it's the pandemic year, you know, and like just to be able to race is a huge gift. So there was no way I was going to like turn down the opportunity to do it. But, um, but it wasn't necessarily the recipe, how I would imagine like an exciting atmosphere or an exciting, place to run or way to run um so so yeah that was a little made me a little nervous and then um when we arrived we asked about the pacers like right away and they were like all right we've got some pacers going 216 pace pacers going 218 mid pace and then some going like um 223 to 224 to 225 like somewhere in there um yeah I think and or actually yeah and so um I was like man I'm like kind of right in the middle of like 68 and and so and 71 30 as far as like halves like um or I guess it was 69 and 71 30 like I was ideally wanting to go out around like 70 minutes so um so that was like a little bit of just wrapping my head around like how how do I want to run this like I could um so after more talking with them they're like okay we might bring one pacer up but the fastest they're going to go is like 70 45 to 71 minutes so that's 221 30 to 222 pace so you know that that would be under my PR um and that was a pace I felt really confident I could run comfortably and I could try to like negative split the second half and at least I'd have people to run with um but 
it kind of felt like playing it safe, like, which there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's a time and place to do that. Like sometimes there's been times in my career where it's like, I just need to get it like a result on the board, you know, cause you like take a big swing or you enter like you get food poisoning or whatever. And it's like, you like, you have some misses and it's like, you just want to like get on the board in a race. Um, but but I didn't, I didn't feel like this was one of those situations. Like, and, and in talking to Ryan, he's like, well, which way would you run if like, this is your last opportunity to like really go for it in a marathon, you know? And I, I knew the answer to that was to take bigger risk, like to, to go with that, um, 69, 15 to 69, 30 group, which that's 218.30 to 219 pace. So I, so yeah, I kind of committed to that in my mind and tried to like, just really envision that and like envision being really gritty and being, um, and like just being with that group as relaxed as possible. And, and it was, it was nerve wracking, but like, um, but yeah, I think I was, I was kind of mentally preparing myself for, for that. Um, but at the same time, knowing that you have to keep an open mind because as what actually played out in the race, um, a lot of times they say it's going to be X and then Y happens. So you kind of have to go into a race, especially a women's only start race, just being ready to compete and like being ready for anything out there. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's actually go to the race now and start talking about it. So as all marathoners do, we were checking the weather quite frequently in those last couple of days leading up to the race, and it's forecasted for some some rain, some wind, some pretty cool temps. And so I know for me, I was you know flashing back to Boston 2018 and starting to think through, okay, what are we wearing here in terms of clothing? How's this going to play out? And then of course, you know the pace groups and the paces they were going that became more and more of a big question mark in our mind as we were seeing the weather. So let's uh, let's walk through race morning so you show up what are the conditions like on the course yeah it was it was pouring rain and pretty cold in the morning and I um and it was dark you know when we got there so we had a pretty early start and um and so I was thinking in my mind I was like you know I bet I'd be really surprised if they're gonna go out in 216 pace like in the in these conditions and just knowing from training in Kenya and Ethiopia, my experience was like, they do not like running in the rain. And like, I've gone to practice when I was training with a group in Ethiopia. And like, if it's raining, like, they'll just wait for it to stop raining. And if it doesn't stop raining, like, they just go home and like, do the workout tomorrow or something. And so like, um, so I was, I was kind of in my mind, like, I bet that it's going to go out more conservative. And, um, but I think, but I also was like, keep an open mind, like don't, you know, cause that's the worst thing you can do is like, think it's going to jog and maybe don't warm up as much or whatever. And then it goes out soup just on pace and stuff. And you're not, you're not mentally prepared for that or physically prepared. So, um, so yeah, I was, I was kind of expecting that, but as it turned out, um, they did, uh, the, the main, um, well, all the Kenyan and Ethiopian girls almost, um, went out not quite on 216 pace from the gun, but definitely uh, notched it down to that, like closer to that after 5K. Um, and kind of as I thought might happen, those two groups just were one group, like the second, the group that was supposed to be like the second group going a little bit slower at 218 pace uh, just joined the top leaders. And I think uh, in hindsight, like, thinking about it I think a a reason why they were willing to get after it and that those girls were were willing to take that risk is that um they had a really big bonus for breaking that women's only world record and so I think that that was keeping keeping the pace honest even in the conditions yeah so uh, let's let's tell the everyone what this marathon was like in terms of like the setting and stuff like this because this was a super unique marathon so before we get too far into like the race and how it played out because man there's there's a lot to talk about in the race but it felt to me so i got to go to the race as well i was with, uh, with the athletes and the managers and there's probably like 
30 of us maybe and they had a grandstand set up and we were the only spectators there so they had cardboard cutouts in another grandstand like right across the way we were right by the finish line and uh and then there's some other cardboard cutouts along the way and uh some led lights and stuff come down the home stretch so it looked like a really cool marathon it just looked like we showed up like 12 hours early because there was no one else there except for um guys who were volunteering and the race organizers and there was literally not one other spectator on the course so it's a very very unique setup that to me it almost felt like a like a nascar race or something like that but one without any crowd at all so um i know you said you were a little bit nervous about the quietness of the course and i know we were on kind of the home stretch which was i thought like a pretty cool setup but how was the rest of that loop and what was it like for you to show up at a marathon with essentially no one else there except for the competitors and race organizers yeah it was not ideal um but you know Everything I say, like, I don't want anything to, like, make it seem like ungrateful because London Marathon did an amazing job. And I'm so, 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 so grateful to them for being willing to put this on. Um, And they did everything with such excellence. It was crazy. Like, the amount of detail they thought through in in both keeping us safe from COVID and, but also, um, with just the race course and everything like it was incredible and um yeah they I just I feel like so indebted to them for creating this opportunity for us but it but they had restrictions because of COVID that the government was making them like like we couldn't leave the hotel premises which we'll talk about later but um so you know like it wasn't their fault that we had to do our running on like a couple minute grass loop or whatever like it's the government kind of mandating that and then the no spectators and all that thing like that that was just because of covid unfortunately just the but but definitely wasn't ideal in that way because um yeah it like that home stretch there was some cool lights and um the announcer was talking and stuff but the rest of the the loop was really quiet like like to the point where when since i was running alone um like in the back stretch, like I would hear the echo of my footsteps and I would think that there was like someone behind me like every time when I was on the backside of the loop. And uh, yeah, just the whole loop was was just dead silent, just listening to your breathing. And um, it, it, was, it was pretty flat. It wasn't completely flat. Like it was kind of like gradual up in one part, like a little steep down. And, and so it had enough like undulation, but was definitely like had the potential to be like a fast course. Um, but, but yeah, it was, um, was like definitely the most quiet race I've, I've ever done. (laughs) One of the the funny memories for me was when they were announcing, uh, the few women and it's kind of funny if there was an announcer, because like I said, it was literally just the agents and coaches that were there. So there's like 30 of us in the grandstand. But yeah, there's like an announcer booming his voice. And this is right in front of Buckingham Palace, if you guys don't know where this loop course went. And it's a one point, was it 1.3? 1.3 mile loop course. So there was some, there was, yeah, 19.7 laps. So there was actually some cool things about it as a spectator. I've never seen Sarah that many times during the marathon, which was really, really cool. Um, but one of the funny moments that I was I was talking about was when they're announcing the the top three or four seeds of the race or whatever, and then there was just like digital clapping. So they'd have like digital clapping going out there, and they were playing some music out there. Not my favorite choice in music. I don't know if you heard the music when I was when you were running, Sarah. But they're playing like like Bruce Springsteen and some like just stuff that I wouldn't work out to. I didn't care. I was just happy for some noise on that home stretch because, yeah, there wasn't any music or anything that on the back the rest of the course. So, uh, so you mentioned in that first five k, the first group and second group kind of merged and became one. What was going on in your mind during that time? You're you're already first loop right off the bat. You're having to make some pretty important choices out there, and I didn't get any feedback to you till I saw you on that first loop. And so you literally had no one else but yourself to make that decision on the fly. So, what were your thoughts when the race starts and the two groups are together? Yeah, I, I could tell we were running fast, but um, I wanted to stay like close enough where if that s- second group did 
start falling back and, and want to be a second group, I could join in. Um, and it was, one interesting thing was, like, you'd think that a course like this, like, you'd be able to get the most feedback of any course. Like, you you always know where you're at, like the mile markers and and everything. But it was kind of ended up being the opposite because somehow all of our GPS watches showed it being like long and and us running faster than um than we were running so like my my watch was saying like we were running I was average I think at 10 miles it still had me as averaging like 514 pace at that point when I was really running like 520 or so average maybe even slower than that so um and everyone's was like that across all different brands. So it's interesting. I don't I don't know if it's just like it's really hard to take the tangents with all those turns or if it's just like the GPS kind of is in a weird zone there and isn't accurate. But um but yeah, that to all that to say, like I was kinda looking at my watch and I knew we were running quick. Um, not quite as quick as my watch said, but um also, there, you know, there was supposed to be a rabbit for our second group, and she was just tucked in behind the the big pack, front pack, just tucked in there, like, the whole um, first 5K. And so I was kind of like, originally, she was supposed to, um, if, if those girls in the second pack went with the lead group, she was supposed to drop, if someone drops off, like drop back with them, um, was what she was supposed to do. And so I was kind of like looking at her, like hoping that maybe she would drop back and actually run the pace we were supposed to be running. Um, but she was just kind of like tucked in, like along for the ride. Um, and then Vivian Chariot did drop back and she dropped back with her. Um, and so I kind of like moved up with them. Um, and the, but then she started hurting like at four miles the rabbit was like done and so like um at that point the the lead group was starting to really pick it up and I was like oh great like the rabbit like the second group rabbit is dropping back like she's supposed to and we can run together but as I kind of pulled up alongside her like she was like looking like she was like lactic already and so I was like trying to encourage her I was like let's go come on like but then I she was just slowing me down so like after running with her for like 10 steps I was like all right I just got to keep going and and just kept moving and at that point I was like man this could be a long race like here I go venturing out all alone (laughs) and as a coach I'm watching this unfold and I saw that Sarah had like her own pacer with her essentially a couple laps into it I was like oh perfect now Sarah can just like tell her what pace she wants to go this is gonna play out perfectly it's super windy really rainy everyone's got hats on and stuff I was like this is a day where you need a pacemaker for sure and even though she was like a little tiny Kenyan girl I was like well it's better (laughs) better than nothing and then all of a sudden like you said like four miles into the race like Sarah goes by she has a pacemaker next lap she goes by and no pacemaker and at that point i'm sitting in these grandstands and i'm literally just like holding my head and and like looking down at the ground and be like i cannot believe this is happening this is like the worst case scenario for like any marathoner now sarah is like in between the front group which is like 30 seconds in front of her and then the the next group behind her is another 30 seconds back and she's just completely by herself in some super windy cold rainy conditions and i was like at that point as a coach i was just so hurting for you <laughs> and 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 so helpless too you know in that situation i was like man i wish i could be out there on the bike or someone was there like it, i just felt really really bad for you at that point so was there any point in, in that moment when you're out there by yourself and you're between these two groups were you feeling sorry for yourself like how are you coaching yourself through those moments Yeah. So I think it was, you know, it wasn't just kind of being on my own, but I think it's like being on your own in that kind of atmosphere was really hard where it was like, like, it's one thing if you're on your own and the crowd is so loud and it's exciting and they're pulling you along or like, or, um, you know, you're on like a course that's like changing and stuff. But when you're just doing like really small loops and it's really quiet, I think that, um, 
to me, that's not my strength. Like I've, I've been trying to get better at running by myself for long periods of time like that, but that's, I'm just like probably never going to be as good as like someone like Ryan or Des or someone like that at that. Um, I'm, I'm more of like a competitor and really like I need people to get the most out of myself. So, um, so yeah, so that was, it was definitely like, I was, I mean, when you're in the moment, you're just like doing your best. You're just giving yourself all this positive self-talk. You're doing great. You feel strong, like just like focusing on form and stuff. But I definitely had moments, especially because I was basically, it was like mile four to, I think it was like after 25K that I actually started to like see people coming back. Um, So it was basically half the race there where I couldn't even see the leaders because the the loop was so small that like there wasn't enough you know straight away ever to really like the the really long home stretch like I could I could see them in the distance there but it wasn't even like anyone to chase for for like a half a marathon and um and so there are definitely moments I was like starting to feel sorry for myself and I was like this is the worst case scenario like uh, um, but then re- I was able to really quickly as like catch those thoughts. Um, like the Bible says like taking your thoughts captive. And I think I was, I was able to be like, you are really blessed to get this opportunity to race. Like, I think, I think we all are going to have such a more appreciation for races after this period of, after this year, you know? And I was like, I was like, do not feel sorry for yourself. You are lucky to be here. You're, you're blessed. Like just keep doing your best. And, um, so I, I really tried to just curb that self pity in the bud. Um, and, and then, yeah, eventually lap after lap, after lap, lap after lap, um, some people would start to come into view and then that helped to kind of focus on them and start to chase them down. And, that's cool. I mean, the power of gratitude right there, that's showing a lot. You know, it's funny how you can look at one situation and feel sorry for yourself. But if you remind yourself of what's true about that situation, it can just completely same situation, just two totally different ways to look at it with and you get totally different results, you know, depending on what mental path you go down. I know you also mentioned like, you just felt really good physically. So talk about that a little bit too. Like, cause I, you know, we all get in these tough moments in races where we might find ourselves on our own or battling something that's not necessarily our strength that comes natural to us. But talk about a little bit about the balance between the, the mental side of things. Cause obviously you're doing a lot right mentally, but then also like how you're able to rely on just like physically feeling good also as you found yourself out there on your own. Yeah, I think that's what that helped keep me positive. I think it's hard when you're in that situation and you start really struggling physically because then it kind of will spiral down a lot more easily. But since I I did feel really good physically going into this race um, and out there, like I think it kind of kept me um, kept my head in it that like don't miss this opportunity. Like you're in really good shape and you um, like you feel strong. And so um, so yeah, I think that just I kept the positive self-talk going with that. So as the race is going on and we're seeing uh, – so what was happening, guys, from my end is I was eyeballing when Sarah was going by and then when the girls in front of her were going by and just giving her lap split updates, being like you're 40 seconds down on the next girl, you're 50 seconds down, however much it was, trying to give you some information out there. Because even though they had the board about 70 meters beyond the finish line uh, with projected finish time splits and uh, – but even that was kind of small and it had a lap counter even on it. Um, so you were getting data out there. But I think uh, you know, giving you some real-time data of how far back you were um, was, was helpful. So at what point – I talk about in racing like what – enables truly great performances to happen is the excitement factor like getting excited about what's going on out there so we kind of talked about the long kind of middle stages of the race where you're just literally on your own loop after loop in the quiet in the cold in the rain just grinding away at what point did you start to get excited out there and how did that happen how did that excitement start to build for you 
Yeah, so um so as I was mentioning like my watch was like usually you would like kind of like keep an eye on your watch to get your pace and stuff and and try to stay on pace but because it was continually not showing the same pace as the board every time we came by so they had this big board and it would say like what pace you're on track for and it, I think I was on like 22050 pace for like a long time but my watch was saying I was run, averaging 514 pace which is not nearly the same thing and so finally around like mile 10 I like chucked it to Ryan on the side and just like threw it to him because I knew if I was wearing it like I would just keep looking at it but if it wasn't giving me information I could trust there's no point in looking at it but then the downside of that is I had like no idea where I was at in the race because uh, like there's marks everywhere. Like because it's a one, it's you know it's not an exact one mile loop. It's a one point three mile loop. So it's like it's like different all the time. Except like mile five, ten, fifteen is in the same place or something. So um, so I at one point I yelled to you, I was like, what lap am I on? (laughs) And I guess there was a lap counter, but like, I didn't see it. And I was just like, I mean, I I could see the running clock. They had like a couple running clocks, like out on the loop. And so I, I mean, I knew how much like time about I I had left, but like, I was like, I have no idea what mile I'm in. Like I just am running around this circle. (laughs) And, uh, um, and so so yeah, that was kind of funny, but um but then I saw I think it was like Vivian Chariot was the first person to kind of get into sight and obviously she's a really fast fast runner and so um that kind of gave me a boost to start chasing her down and um I don't remember exactly what point that was. I would say it's probably like it was after 25k, I think. Um and then yeah, just gradually more people started to come into view and I just I tried to use that to to focus on besides my breathing and listening to that which I had been doing for a really long time. So let's let's get into the it was funny actually we had some funny interactions throughout the race Sarah and I there was there's was one point where she looked at me and I think this was maybe halfway into the race when she was between groups and she looked at me just for a split second but in that split second having you know she's my wife as well as I coach her but I knew like exactly what the look was it was like it's like this look of like what do you want me to do right now and I didn't even have that much data myself because my phone my data on my phone wasn't really working my cell phone service so and we weren't able to see the board from where we were so we weren't really getting any updates and so I had no idea how fast Sarah was running so she looked at me with this look of like what do you want me to do right now I'm like in no man's land in crazy conditions and I I just didn't know what to tell you like I had so many different thoughts going through my mind like one of them was like maybe I should have her drop out because <laughs> I didn't know if she was running fast or slow but I did not like you know her running on her own in these conditions and also too I was like you know we can you know live to fight another battle another day and go run fast somewhere on better conditions when we can bring pacemakers and set something up so you know I was having that kind of thought and I didn't know how you were feeling or what was going on with you and I was so grateful that I was just I just kept cheering I was just like you're doing great keep it going um when she looked at me like that and then with the laps to go you know you came by how many laps do I have left and yeah I remember you had five laps to go but like I wasn't even totally sure like I was just tracking how close you were to the people in front of you and what was happening with the people in front of you and try and give you that data so like I didn't even know so she yells to me like how many laps do I have to go and I'm like five I think <laughs> yeah five or six so um and then the watch throwing that when you threw your watch I was actually nervous about that because usually what happens when runners ditch their watch is because they're seeing really slow splits like discouraging splits and so I you know like I'm looking at your turnover and stuff and I'm like it looks like she's running fast but she just chucked her watch so maybe she's just like you know hitting the wall here and things are not going well so I was like on this emotional roller coaster 
as a coach until I started to see, oh, she's, she's putting on time on people. And then the later and later into the race, she was really putting time into people. Cause you were, you know, a couple minutes back from second place. Like I wasn't even thinking about second place. I don't, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thought on this, but as this race is unfolding, you know, she's moving up from like 10th and then all of a sudden ninth, eighth, seventh. And, you know, I'm getting more and more excited as I'm watching this and I'm seeing these gaps just get smaller and smaller, but I'm not thinking there's any chance in the world you have a chance to finish second in this race because we're getting into the later stages of the race and you're still down you know two minutes on third place i'm like oh man if she can get on the podium this would be amazing so what was kind of happening in your mind as you're seeing these gaps getting smaller and smaller and as you're realizing whoa i just got into podium position i just got into third place at the london marathon yeah it was really helpful having you telling me um I think it was especially when when it was third, uh, when I was in... I remember when I passed um, one Ethiopian girl that she was fifth, I heard. And so I knew I was in fourth. And that made me really excited to... Because um, I, I, podiuming was, was my goal. for like I, I, I'd wanted to get on the podium at a world marathon major, but it felt like, I mean, this race is crazy stacked. Like, um, like just because it's the only marathon major happening. So I was like, that's going to be a tall order. But like, I, like if the opportunity presented, like I would love that. And and I've seen in other marathon majors, it's like on paper, the field is like X and there's like, you know, 20 sub 220 girls. But like what actually transpires is not everyone running like right what their PR is and stuff. So, um, so anyways, yeah, just to be in fourth and then you were giving me feedback how far from third, like that really, the motivation like took another notch and I, I was really excited to get her in my line of sight and just, I could tell I was gaining a lot on her and, um, and it was kind of an interesting, like, as I got closer to her, like, just, you're like, man, like, it's, it's almost like you don't want her to know you're like, you have the upper hand as long as you're behind her. And like, and like, I didn't know if she was going to like respond. And I, and I was, so it was almost like, like, do you just kind of settle for podiuming or do you just like go by her heart or all this? And, um, so I just like tried to kind of assess how well she was moving and stuff and just tried to go by her as hard as I could and just keep moving and, and keep putting as much distance as I could. Um, and I mean, I knew the two girls ahead of me were um, Koska and um, Chip and Getich, and they're like the two best runners in the world. And so um, I wasn't really thinking about second after I passed her. Like I was just trying to, at that point, just like put as much like space as I could. And I, I was feeling strong and stuff. So I was, yeah, just focused on that. So let's let's go to that last lap then. So Sarah comes by with one lap to go, and I didn't know this till after the race. But apparently, I was right by a big speaker, so she wasn't hearing everything I was saying. So I yelled to Sarah. I was like, I was like, she's jogging up in front of you and talking about the second place girl and being like, you can get her. Like you're forty seconds back, which forty seconds back with a one point three mile loop is a ton of ground to cover, right? So, but I could tell like her turnover, the girl in second is just she was she was jogging but sarah she didn't hear because of the speakers all she heard is me say you're 40 seconds back so i know you said you didn't think you could get second but with the lap to go what were your, what was going through your mind what was going through your body how do you feel take us through that last lap yeah when i heard 40 seconds i was like oh like and like it definitely was um it, it it's kind of like split second decisions right in that moment where you're like um but like I, in that moment I was like all right I'm gonna go for it still like I'm just gonna like lock in on her visually and just like keep like and, and go for it and I I could tell I was I mean she was like way down there but like I could tell I was gaining ground and in the back stretch like gaining more ground and more ground and but she's still so far away so it's just one of those times where you're just like locked in and like trying to like will your body will everything forward and recruit every muscle you have on that last um 
that last mile and stuff. And so even still, I mean, she rounded that turn quite a bit in front of me. I think she had like, they said like eight seconds with like 200 to go or something. And, um, but, um, but yeah, I just kept like, it's almost one of those things where it's like, if you, you get good at kind of, um, lying to yourself as like a marathon runner, like just being like, I don't know, sometimes I'll, I'll be like in a long tempo and I'll be like only one mile to go when I have like eight miles to go or something. And you just like, sometimes it like helps to just believe things, even if they're unrealistic, you know, or, or not true. And I think in this case, I was just, I was just like trying to like convince myself that it was possible, even though I like, I didn't really think it was. And, um, and so, yeah, I think just like the kick was, you know, just a lot of that is like instincts. It's like muscle memory and, and, and just desire. It's like, how much do you want it in that moment? And, um, and like, yeah, it was, it's a moment all, I mean, it's, it's like the most memorable race of my career so far, for sure. Like a moment I'll never forget going by her and, and finishing that so strong. Cause, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just like, yeah, a wild dream to come true. <laughs> yeah, so after the finish, there's some uh, some video and picture of you like just tearing up and stuff. Like, what was what was the emotion as they're like handing you your what did you get a bull <laughs> your, your your silver bull and uh, you know you're holding up the the London Marathon paraphernalia and taking pictures top three stand on that podium like what is what's going through your mind and emotions yeah it was it was some shock and like feeling really surreal in some ways like um and I think it's like it's all the like like when you watch a race like this and like you see the people that make the podium and like all the little things they do like putting the the sponsor turtleneck on like under their warm-ups and like it's like all those little things like I was like oh my gosh like I get to wear the turtleneck and like uh, like it's just um you know it was uh, everything was a little bit different than usual because of COVID so we couldn't take like the pick of us all close together with our flags or whatever, you know, and, um, we had to be really like spaced out. We have masks on or things, but, um, so it's always a little, it was a little different than you dream about it, but, um, but yeah, it was, there was just a moment where after we did some media and we were sitting just in a tent and they actually, they caught it on film someone, but, um, where it just kind of sunk in and I was just crying some happy tears and, uh, so yeah, that was, um, that was just, I don't know. It just, it, it, it's so much, there's just been so much like in my career and just this year of, of disappointment with the trials and, and things. And just to have that redemptive moment, um, after fighting really hard for it, like just, um, really, really like refusing to give in to, um, like the the negative voices or the discouraging voices like after such a big disappointment but just to know there was more there and just to be like I'm going to take advantage of whatever opportunities I have and like this was the opportunity that presented itself and like I was already training for a marathon because I was I was so willing to or so like eager to like have an opportunity and um so just I don't know just how it all came together it just felt like just one of those moments where um yeah it's it just like you see God's hand in it and you see like just um yeah just redemption bringing redemption and um yeah <laughs> I don't know how to, else to describe it that's so good so in my my post on Instagram after your race I was I was talking about how you know we talk about salt being in wounds and how that adds to our pain right like it's like a source of suffering makes things hurt more and i think all of us every single marathoner who's ever run a marathon knows what it's like to get salt in your wounds you know like to have those days where you show up and things do not go your way and you do not 
have the race that you were hoping and dreaming for and to have those dreams just shattered like i don't think there's any marathoner on the planet who does not know what it's like to have salt in your wounds but i think it's interesting that salt is also something that's supposed to bring out flavor it's supposed to enhance things it's supposed to make it taste better and i was saying man that was so true for this experience at least for me anyways as your husband and coach to have experienced the the salt that's been in the wound but now having that same salt be what's enhancing the flavor of this victory and even though you know you didn't win but it man it felt like a win to me like it was definitely like the sweetest moment of my career was just experiencing that with you and and the sweetness of that moment was made so much sweeter because that's what salt does it makes it makes things it enhances the flavor of things so so cool to get to be there with you and watch that and experience that with you and then uh, you know we go back to the bubble and i know we got to run here we got uh, sarah's the master of recovery so we're we're down here in phoenix and uh we got some some recovery things to do but um real quick we go back to the bubble what's it like celebrating the bubble what's what's life in the bubble like real quick yeah um you know, it was it was a challenging week quarantining in the bubble. Um, definitely not ideal compared to how I would normally prepare for a marathon, and um, and so. But you know, it's one of those things where you're all in it together, and once again, you're just so grateful that um, to have the opportunity and that they were willing to think through all these these details to make it happen. But um, but yeah, we were staying in a beautiful hotel. Um, but weren't allowed to leave the grounds and it was kind of built on this big hill so there was a little bit of road like tiny bit and then like a grass hill basically to do all our running um and I like never run on grass so I was like what is this going to be like like trying to like work out on grass like hill before the race and you know you just you have all your like things you want to you want to do things a certain way like you always do them for a marathon and um and there's some things that you couldn't do that way. And also, um, you know, we, there just wasn't a lot going on. Like we were supposed to be distanced with everyone and the Wi-Fi wasn't really good enough to like stream anything or do anything. And so it was just kind of like some really low key days. Um, that was really glad you were there for, um, to keep me sane and just provide company and humor and everything. And that was huge. Um, but, but yeah, the, but, the, the other side of the bubble is like it's kind of fun just to it's like a athlete village in a way where it's like the olympic village where you have everyone together and like you're seeing how different people train you know and um like the kenyans and ethiopians have like their st- unique styles and um compared to us and and you're all eating together in the same um area although all spaced out and stuff and um so that was that was kind of fun like it, it did feel like it felt like pre-race day but like for an entire week so i think that was like there was a little bit of intensity to it where it was like um okay we're like dialed in already like it feels like the race is tomorrow but we still have six days to go um so so yeah um the bubble was i'm definitely glad to be out and have a little more freedom and uh running like straight and not in the little circle but um but maybe help for the race when we had to do circles you know just to keep getting used to that that boredom yeah, they they were taking some pretty intense COVID measures as they should be, rightfully so. But they gave us these trackers, and when we got there, and so like it was a blue light or red light. If you got within two meters of someone, the blue light would come on. If you got closer than that, it turned red and start like buzzing at you. So it feels kind of weird now to be walking around and not have our beepers going off on each other. Um, but that was just one of the many, many special I think memories from this one, and um, you know all of us at Run Free were we're celebrating with you and um it was just a pleasure to watch that race unfold and i think one that we will all remember for a lifetime so thanks for thanks for the inspiration thanks for making the time to come on run free podcast and share with us there thank you all right guys till next time happy training